text, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do the entire chapter. And let's do the smart thing here and let's have a word of prayer before we get going into everything. Heavenly Father, it is good to be here this morning. Pray that you would just teach and lead in all ways and all things. Thankful for the people you brought out. But for right here, right now, just let the Holy Spirit lead and guide. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 6. As we're continuing our study here through the book of Acts, what you're going to see is the enemy attacking the church from the inside and the outside. We've had our first type of persecution starting to come against the church. And next chapter, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen will be martyred. But what you see here today as the church grows... Sometimes there's issues that arise with that. And this is what I love about the book of Acts. It's such a practical book. And Acts chapter 6 is one of my favorite chapters because it is such a practical chapter of how to deal with problems and situations. And what you have here in Acts chapter 6 is the church has an issue that they have to deal with. The enemy is trying to get in and create an issue. How do we deal with this? You're going to see this in another time in the book of Acts. You're going to see this later on in some of the epistles. The church actually has to step up and say, listen. How do we deal with this? Our whole focus, if you remember back to Matthew 28, is to see disciples get made. That's the focus, to see souls get saved. Jesus told us to go, therefore, make disciples, teach the Bible, and baptize them. That's what we want to do. And so we want to encourage you here this morning, if you're born again and saved, to encourage you to go deeper as a wife, as a father, as a mother, etc. We also want to encourage you to go out and be a witness in all you do and say. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, we want to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to you, of who he is. With that being said, I only got so much time and energy in the day. So if I spend all my time and energy fighting over things with other believers, that leaves less time and energy to go see the gospel spread. And so when I think one of the greatest tricks the enemy does is he comes and takes our time and our energy away and spends that time and energy focusing on things that are of no eternal value and especially fights and arguments with each other. So therefore, instead of being the body of Christ... There's divisions and fights, and next thing you know, that time and energy is used to spend to battling each other rather than going deeper in the Lord. And this is what you see here going on. What I love about this is the way you're supposed to handle a situation with somebody is you handle it quickly, you handle it biblically, and you handle it spirit-led. If something pops up, deal with it quickly, deal with it biblically, deal with it spirit-led. And you see them doing this here right now. So, jump back to chapter 5, verse 42, that sets the tone here for chapter 6. It says, Daily in the temple and every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That's the focus. But then we have this happening, verse 1, chapter 6. Now, in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. A little bit of background here. Hellenists would have been Greek-speaking, Greek-culture Jews. They were Jewish in faith, but they had a Greek background to them. So their culture would be different. They would talk different. They would dress different than what is considered the Hebrews. This is your more traditional Jew. So what was happening is they had these widows that need to have what is called the daily distribution. They needed needs being met, things taken care of. And these Greek-speaking widows, the culture, were being neglected. More attention is being focused on the Hebrew ones. This is now becoming an issue. And so what's happening is there's a complaint. There's a murmuring. It literally means a secret debate. There's people whispering in the background. And next thing you know, time and energy is spent into arguing about this rather than the gospel. Now, before we get into how the church deals with it, you need to understand, generally speaking, God is pretty generic. He says, love all, honor all, respect all. 
But every now and then he gets really specific about things. One of the things is visiting those in prisons. That's what we just did. The church did there. Another thing you see is specifically in James chapter 1, he says to go take care of the widows and the orphans, specifically. And so there's such an important call to those that are widows. That's something we generally try to have Pastor Rich do out here, is to go contact the different widows of the church. How are you doing? Is there anything you need? How can we pray for you? And generally Rich tries to take care of that to make sure their needs are being met. See, we're called to do those things. How does that look like for you as an individual? Let's just keep it simple. Do you have any widows in your sphere of life? Minister to them. See if there's anything they need. Do you have any orphans in your sphere of life? Maybe there's a kid that lives on your street that mom and dad are basically absent. Opportunity for you to really go represent. Opportunity for you to really go minister. Opening up your time, your home, your house to that, to encourage the widows, to encourage the orphans. Taking what we see in the Bible, and let's just practically apply it to our lives. And as you minister to them, you minister to them in the name of Jesus and really represent the gospel to them. So, what's happening is, they're being neglected. So they have to take care of this situation. Verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the world. So now what you see here is the different responsibilities happening. You have the 12 taking this, what we would call an elder position or a bishop position. And they're going to focus on the word of God in prayer. And then you have these other seven men, servants. The word servant literally means deacon in the Greek. That's where you get your word deacon from. And what they're going to do is take care of serving tables. And depending on your translation, the word there for business in verse 3 is responsibility. So you start to see now different spiritual responsibilities in the church. Now let's build on this. Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians 12? 1 Corinthians 12. This is how the church is supposed to work. This idea of that you've all been gifted with a gift from the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you're born again and saved, the Bible says that you have a gift from the Holy Spirit. Now, each one of those gifts can be different, and we all don't want the same gift. So, therefore, these gifts are diversified to be able to serve the body of Christ. Remember, as you're going to 1 Corinthians 12, the reason we're here is to glorify the Lord in all that we do by being a light and a witness. We're not here on this earth just to make ourselves happy. We're not here on this earth just to make ourselves be the people we want to be. Lord, I want to be the person you've called me to be. So therefore, you've given me gifts to use on the body of Christ. What does that look like? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. What do you see there? You have different activities, you have different gifts, you have different ministries. We use this example a lot. Not all of you were called to go yesterday to Lima, but you could pray for them. Not all of you are going to go to Junior Jam here in a couple weeks with the kids, but you can pray for those kids that are going. Think about this during the Bible studies throughout the week. Not going to go to the ladies' Bible studies, maybe on Friday or Monday, but you can pray for them. There's different ministries, activities, gifts, but as the body of Christ, we support that, we encourage that. Verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So whatever gift we have is there to serve the body of Christ. Verse 8, for one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. 
For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. That's the way it's supposed to work. We've all been gifted with different things, and we're supposed to use that gift to further the gospel, to edify the church, to equip the saints, to be a body of Christ together. What you see in Acts chapter 6, this is starting to happen. People realizing their calling in ministry may be more of word of God and prayer. Their calling in ministry may be more serving tables and business ideas, the responsibilities of it. And then all together it forms this beautiful body of Christ. Now at this point we've got to stop and make a practical point. We can't elevate one over the other. We can't. Now we have a tendency to elevate certain things that are more visible. I know when it comes to the teaching of the word and the praying, my position as the pastor is more visible. I get that. I'm up here on Sundays. I'm up here on Wednesdays taking care of stuff. And so what happens is maybe a tendency to elevate that. But I'm also telling you right now, there's so many gifts going on that we don't see behind the scenes. I use these examples a lot. Somebody paid the bill so we could have air conditioning this morning and turn the lights on. Somebody cleaned the church this week. Right now, there is a whole bunch of servants in the back taking care of your beautiful, wonderful children. So that way we can sit here and talk and talk about the Lord openly. There's so many different gifts happening, we need to remember that. And we can't elevate one over the other. Think about this. Put yourself in the position of being one of those widows. You're not getting food. So you call up the church. I answer the phone. And you say, hi, I'm the widow. I'm being neglected in the daily distribution. I need food. And I say, I'll be right over. So I come right over and I bring the ministry of prayer and the word of God. And I say, I know you're starving to death, but would you like to do a verse-by-verse study of 1 John with me? No. You want a deacon to show up with a box of food. So we have to understand we're not trying to elevate. They're all the gifts at different times are vitally important. I remember when I first took over out here, I got a call from a widow that had a hot water heater issue. It was spewing water all over. She called me up, so I came over. I looked at the hot water heater. I circled it. I have no idea what I'm doing, none in any way whatsoever. I called somebody who did. I love you, but if your hot water heater is broke, you probably don't want me. You don't want me for car problems. You don't want me for house problems. You don't. Now, I can get you somebody, but that's not my calling. That's not my gift. And it's taken me years to have a peace and a comfortability to realize that's not my thing. I'm not called to do that. Just like there's guys that are never going to teach Sunday school. They're not. But they'll go to Lima. They'll crawl under a widow's house in the mud to fix a water line. Aren't you thankful for that? So we have to realize these different gifts, these different callings, these different responsibilities. And this is how the body of Christ comes together. Does this mean that the ones that do more of the spiritual responsibilities, the elders, bishops, etc., don't do any of the physical stuff like the deacons do, or the deacons don't do anything spiritual? No, because there's always cross-ministry going on. Stephen, who is one of the deacons chosen to serve, you're going to see him take center stage here for the next couple of chapters and boldly proclaim the Word of God. After him, you're going to see Philip, who is one of the seven deacons, do the same thing. We're called to do anything. Jesus was willing to wash feet. If he's willing to wash feet, we're willing to do anything. The problem is you start to see these extremes. You see guys that say things like, Oh, you know, that's not my thing. What's not your thing? Oh, it's not my thing to do the prayer thing, the teaching thing. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit can lead you at that moment to do it. You need to be open. You need to be available. Or the flip side, oh, I don't get my hands dirty. Oh, no, we're all called to get our hands dirty. 
When the Lord leads, we're willing to do it. So you see this happening now in the church, these different responsibilities. And guess what the result of this is? Verse 5, the saying pleased the whole multitude. Verse 7, the word of God spread. The number of the disciples multiplied. When you have people doing what they're called to do, it opens the spirit to be able to say, here it is. Let's really get out there and make a difference in the world for Jesus Christ when we're doing our gifts. What a blessing it is. So verse 5, the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He'll take center stage for the rest of this chapter in chapter 7. Then we have uh, Philip, who'll take center stage after that. Then we have Procarius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. What a great system there. People being led by the Lord to do what they're called to do, and then the word of God spread. You want to see more disciples multiplied, verse 7? Spread the word of God. That's what it comes down to. As a church, we always want to be a church that's teaching the Bible. We don't want to teach from the Bible. We want to teach you the Bible because we believe that's how the word of God spreads. And when it says that the disciples are multiplied, that's not some type of church growth thing. It says, no, we want to see more disciples, so therefore more disciples go out and reach the world. This is the pattern. We want to see people come get saved, and as they get saved, you disciple them, you teach them. We do exactly what it says in Matthew 28, and then they go have other people get saved, and then you just see this idea of it going out, disciples making disciples. What's the key ingredient to that? Verse 7, the Word of God. So that's what it looks like from a church standpoint. What's it look like for you as an individual? Well, let's just be honest. How's your walk going? If it's feeling a little dry, if it's feeling a little stale, are you putting the Word of God into your life? Okay, what about your marriage? Are we putting the Word of God into the marriage? What about the kids that you have home? Are you putting the Word of God into them? This is not some legalistic force. This is realizing this is the spiritual food that God gave us. And when we invest in that idea and put that Word of God in us, what a blessing it is. Think of the simplicity of Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may do the things that are written in it. Lord, I want to be focused on you, and as I put the word of God into my life, the disciples spread. All of a sudden, I start seeing things and looking at it from this different perspective of, Lord, it's all about eternity. And so these seven men are called up to be the first deacons, if you will. And what a wonderful blessing it is. These men that have been proven. Now, that's one of the catches. If you want to look at this later, you can. It's in 1 Timothy 3. It gives the requirements for deacons and it gives the requirements for elders. And one of the requirements for a deacon is, is let them be tested. See, you see, God is not trying to rush things along. We have a tendency to do that. I know some churches, if you show up on Sunday, next Sunday you can be leading the children's ministry if you want. They'll just throw you right in. I think we need to understand that there's a little bit of testing that goes on seeing it. One of the phrases that we use out here is this. We want to make sure the sheep are comfortable with you and that you're comfortable with the sheep. So therefore, we will start giving out spiritual responsibilities to see how it goes. We're just not going to throw anybody into anything. Let them be proven. Let them be tested. Sometimes it takes a lot of time because you really want to make sure this is it. There's been times in the past where there's been some wolves in sheep's clothing that's come in. And we got to be careful about that. God's warned us about that. And so you want to take the time to make sure things are tested to be proven. I look back to my own spiritual life, and I'll just share this with you. Um, I got saved in the fall of 93. 
And I remember the first spiritual responsibility that I got to do would have been in December of 93. I got to do announcements. That was huge. That was huge. So here I was. I was doing announcements for the first time. And so Jim wasn't going to be there. And so he asked me if I would do announcements. And at that time, before we did announcements, Renee still does it here at the 10 o'clock. He usually shared like a little scripture before you got up there. And so before I got up to do announcements, I was going to do the scripture. And I was going to do the verse out of Timothy where it says that all scripture is God-breathed. I was so nervous. I wanted to make sure everything was right. Here I was, 16 years old, just got saved. And this is my first real spiritual responsibility. So I, I, I remember talking to my oldest sister, Janelle. And I said, can I go through it with you? So I went through it with her. I said, did it sound okay? So I got to church, and we were meeting in the little white building that used to be the Handler Library by the bank at that time. And I remember I started getting nervous about this verse because there's this phrase in there that says, God breathed. So I went up to Rich because he was there that Sunday, and I said, Rich, I want to make sure I'm saying this right. I said, is it, is it God breathed? Is that, is that how you're supposed to say it? And I remember Rich looking at me, and he goes, Jamie, I have no idea. He goes, ask Betsy. So there you go. That's... <laughs> That's, that's Richard and mine's working relationship right there. So I got up, did announcements, and uh, just was blessed considerably. So here I am, 16, had my first spiritual taste of anything. Pretty sure Jim was going to let me start teaching Sundays. I mean, that's just the next step, right? Next thing they asked me to do is we moved into the cafeteria. Um, I started setting up tables and chairs, if you remember correctly, when we used to be out in the library in the cafeteria at the high school, we had to set up tables and chairs every single Sunday. Great ministry. So after that, I got put on the moving ministry. I was a teenager. I had a strong back. Every time someone in church moved, called me up. Moved a lot of sofas, a lot of couches, sleeper sofas. You know, I firmly believe that in hell, people move sleeper sofas. That's all they do for all of eternity. So did a lot of moving. Now then, I, I got to do something. They let me do nursery. They put me in nursery. And for those that have been coming out here from the beginning, if you remember uh, Harry and Linda, uh, their daughter, I believe it was Heather. Is that right, Betsy? Heather? Heather was the real nursery worker, but they put me in nursery. After they put me in nursery, uh, I got to do Wednesday night teaching some kids. Now, I didn't get to teach. We got to what we called shadow. I had just to go sit and just kind of learn and we still do that to this day. If someone feels led to get in children's ministry, hey, come sit in a couple classes. See what you think. See where the Lord's leading. Then I got to teach Wednesday night kids. Got to teach. Then I got a chance to be the co-leader of a Christmas program. Ah, back in the library. Remember, I got to do that. Then the Lord opened a door, and I got to teach the Wednesday night adults. And then I got to teach Sunday school on Sunday mornings. Now, And then after that, you know, when the Lord led Jim... Um, and he stepped down, I took over. And I looked at all the different things there. And it was just being faithful, hopefully, in the little things that the Lord called. And by doing this, you learn a lot of things. Somebody ever wants to come get involved in ministry, I'm going to throw everything I can at you. You're going to learn a lot. First off, you're going to learn what you're called to do and what not called to do. I'm not called to do nursery. I know that. I did nursery. I'm not called to do nursery. I'm not called to teach uh, Sunday school to the little kids. I know that because I did it. I can remember... When Jim used to be up here teaching, uh, you know, sometimes Jim had a tendency to, to kind of keep talking a little bit. And so what would happen, I'd be back in the back teaching Sunday school, and we'd pop our heads out on a regular basis just to see if he was done. And I remember one Sunday morning, uh, it was a rough group of kids, and it was just, it was time to be done. I don't know how many times we sang, Jesus loves you, and we just, it was time to be done. So I looked out the door, Dawn and I were teaching, and 
Jim had finished up, and he called up either, I can't remember if it was Marv or Glenn, to do the last song. And I told Don, I said, okay, they're doing the last song. So I do the last song. The last song gets done. Jim comes back up, and he did an altar call. And I remember at the time thinking, you better not be doing an altar call right now, Jim. I, I, don't, I don't care about souls saved at this point. These parents need to come get their kids right here, right now. So I've been back there. I get that. I understand that. You realize where you're called. You realize where you're not called. And I tell you this, and this is something I firmly believe. It teaches you to spread the gospel at every age level. All of a sudden you realize it's just not about teaching a room full of adults. It's about teaching kids at all ages at any time, wherever the Holy Spirit leads. And what a wonderful blessing that is. And, and that's what we need to remember. And so if someone ever feels like to get involved in ministry, we say, hey, we're going to keep throwing things at you. See what you do. See how it goes. See where you are. If we're looking for that person, or I shouldn't say if we're looking, if that person's looking just to move up the chain to get to the big stuff, there is no big stuff out here. It's all the same. Right now, I happen to be teaching a room full of adults. But you know what? You've got parents back there teaching kids and telling them about Jesus for the first time. That's vital. That's vital. So we've got to remember that. So you see this happening. And you see these people then growing in the Lord. And what a beautiful thing that is. Now let's look at the requirements. What does the requirements say? Verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So here's the requirements. First one, seven men of good reputation. Good reputation, some of your translations, honest report, well-respected. When people think of their names, they think of them in a good, godly way. Think about that. When your name comes up, what do your coworkers think of you? Friends, family think of you. Are you of a good reputation, honest report? That's part of our witness. There's a church down in Florida that I know of that they have, I think, fifteen to 18,000 people come through every weekend. And when they get a new group of deacons, I've seen them do this, they put the picture of the deacon up on their slideshow presentation. And they come right out and announce, these are the different deacons we're praying about. If you know anything negative about these guys, would you contact us? Can you imagine your name, your picture, being put up publicly and somebody saying, hey, do you see this guy? If you know anything bad about him, could you let me know, please? Because we're thinking about making them a deacon. We want to know if they have a good report or if they're well-respected, a good reputation. That's part of our witness. The next thing that you see here, verse 3, full of the Holy Spirit. This is an ongoing theme in the book of Acts. And and I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable with this. Because some people get really uncomfortable when this concept of full of the Holy Spirit comes up. They start assuming full of the Holy Spirit equals crazy. If you read through the Bible, the Holy Spirit is never crazy. Never. Full of the Holy Spirit is an amazing thing. Think back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus said, I want you to be baptized in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you see that happening in Acts 2 and you see these men, these fishermen that are nobodies. All of a sudden out there debating, preaching, healing, etc. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit just means that I'm gone. Go back to Galatians, that idea of die, deny, and disappear. James has left the building, and the Holy Spirit is here. That still means I have my own personality, I have my own quirks, my own traits. The Lord uses our uniqueness. But it reaches a point where we stop and say, it's not about me. It's not about making my life comfortable and good and fun. Lord, what do you want me to do? I want to be so full of the Spirit that everything I look at, it's it's for you, Lord. Full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. 
Not just the Holy Spirit, but full of wisdom. Can you go with me to Proverbs chapter 4? For you that have been coming on Wednesday nights, you know what verse I'm going to, because we've hit this verse the last two Wednesday nights in our study in Ecclesiastes. But Proverbs 4. Look how simple and straightforward this passage is in Proverbs 4. Verse 5. Get wisdom, get understanding... Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Proverbs 4, 6. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and all you're getting, get understanding. I think he's being pretty passionate there. Get wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing God's way of how to handle a situation. You have a way to handle it. I have a way to handle it. It may not be in wisdom. We want to handle it God's way. Biblically, spirit-led, what does that look like? That's the wisdom we're looking for. And you see these men, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and then wisdom, and then they could appoint this responsibility over them. They were faithful in it, faithful to accomplish it. I'm just telling you from a position out here at church, anytime I ask somebody to do something, when I know I can trust that they're going to get it done, what an amazing blessing that is. I know that person. They will do it. They'll get it done. They trusted these men to say, we are putting you in charge over this. You're going to take care of these widows. You're going to do it. What an absolute blessing that was. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. And then what happens next? They laid hands on them, verse 6. What does it mean to lay hands on? It shows a oneness in ministry there. You know, last Sunday after church, you know, we brought, called up anybody that's going to be helping with the uh, you know, prison outreach. We laid hands on them. That's what it means to do, is to go do that. So when you're laying hands on somebody, showing a oneness. I, I am part of you in this ministry, and I'm going to be praying for you. And they prayed and then laid hands on them. And then what's the result? Verse 7, the word of God spreads and the number of the disciples multiply. See, that's what happens. When you've got people doing their callings, it works. So when you got guys that are called to that position of service and ministry doing it, you know it's taken care of. We don't have to worry about it. Then you got the guys that are called to the ministry of the word and prayer. They're doing it. What a wonderful blessing it is when all these gifts come together. And the result is what? Disciples. That's not about, hey, look how many people we can get in a building. Who cares about that? It's about disciples. The number of disciples multiplied, which means there's now more people going out there spreading the gospel, which means now more people are being reached I think of that passage in Romans where it says, who will hear unless someone is sent to go tell them? People are being sent now out to go tell people about Christ. Where you live, where you work, wherever at school, you're now in a little missions field. Because why? All these gifts are coming together and the body of Christ can grow. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Let's see it in action. Verse 8, Stephen, full of faith and power, did wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Syrians, Alexandrians, and those from Sicilia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. I love verse 10. Cannot resist the wisdom and the spirit which he spoke. It's an unfair debate. The wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. It's unfair. Because why? Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't Stephen speaking. It was the Lord. Not Stephen. I can only tell you from personal experience. And I sure hope this doesn't come across as braggadocious. Because I know in my heart, I don't mean it that way and whatsoever. There will be times I'm up here teaching or counseling. And, and something comes out of my mouth. And I'm like, that was really good. <laughs> that was really good. 
That's not, if you ever see me writing something down, I'm taking notes on myself. It's like, wow, that's the Lord. And I mean that in all sincerity and all truth. There's been times where I'm talking to someone and I realize I am over my head. From a worldly standpoint, this person is more intelligent than me. This person is smarter than I am. But all of a sudden, as you just let go, you die, deny, and disappear, the Holy Spirit takes over. It's like, yeah, Lord, I get it. It's not me. It all comes together. So all those devotions I read, all those scriptures I read at the time that I don't even know if I got anything out of, John 14, 15, and 16 tells me the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance. Wow, Lord, thank you. That's why you said in Timothy to be diligent to present yourself a man of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because all that time and energy spent in preparing, the Holy Spirit says, I got all this ammunition to use now. And when I can just get James out of the way, then I can use him as a vessel. Like I said, he'll still use your personality, your little quirks, who you are. But ultimately, we become a vessel for the Lord. And here is Stephen, who as far as we know, had no deep theological training... And what is he able to do in verse 10? They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. If you remember back in Acts chapter 4, these were the fishermen that just hung out with Jesus. Where did they learn to teach and preach like this? The Holy Spirit. And then what do they do with that? Acts chapter 5 last week, they filled Jerusalem with the doctrine of Jesus. Can you imagine that being us? That wherever you live, work, go to school, you have filled that area with the doctrine of Jesus. And you are so full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit that you're just like, I'm representing the Lord. I don't even know what I'm doing, but God does. And he's just doing it. We just need to be willing. Remember back to the book of Isaiah. God said, who can I send? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. That's what the Lord's looking for. Here I am, send me. So they can't defeat him in a debate. So what do they do? They do the same thing to Stephen that they did to Jesus, verse 11. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. Then they also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, Saw his face as the face of an angel, which takes us to next week in Acts chapter 7. They can't defeat him in a debate, so they just make lies up. Remember what we said last week, Matthew 5? Blessed are you when they say all types of false things against you for my name's sake. Blessed are you. When the world has to resort to lies, you know the Holy Spirit is moving and working. This is what I want to finish with. Can you go with me to Matthew 25? What do we see? We see a potential problem that the enemy wants to exploit. But they handled it quickly, biblically, spirit-led. What you see, people seeing their gifts. And you see the focus on the word of God and prayer, but you also see the focus on serving tables and responsibilities. Both are equally important, and when the body of Christ is doing both, you see a real blessing come out of that. What we see also is these men were supposed to be tested and proven. And they build up, if you will, with spiritual responsibility. Now, here's the thing. As you go to Matthew chapter 25, this is what we're going to finish with. What does it mean to build up? See, you you all have been given a gift from the Holy Spirit, and you just need to use that for the Lord. What does that look like for you as an individual? I can't answer that. I can pray with you for that. I can encourage you. But ultimately, that's between you and the Lord and what that looks like. But I know this. He's asking you to give 100%. That's what he's asking for. Never do comparative Christianity. 
Never. I, I, I don't think I've shared this at the 10. I shared this at the 8.30. I heard a pastor teach one time. You've heard me use this point before. Only two things can happen when you compare yourself to another believer. You know, he was talking about the idea of pastors comparing to other churches. He goes, one, your church is better than that church, so the result is pride. Or two, your church is not as good as that church, so now you feel defeated. Think about that. That's why God says don't compare. You have a sphere of influence. You have spiritual responsibilities. And the Lord says, just do what you're called to do. So if somebody else is doing what you consider these amazing things, and all these people are coming, and souls are being saved, and you start up something, and one person shows up, then you better love that person like Jesus does. Okay? So they're doing all this, and you're just doing this. No, there's no comparison. Think of some of the greatest verses we use in the Bible. John 3, 16. That was between Jesus and one person. Or in John 4, Jesus and the woman at the well. A lot of Jesus' ministry was one-on-one. He never cared about people in numbers. Look at this. Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So the man traveling is a picture of the Lord. We're the servants. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents. Now stop real quick. The problem with this translation of the word talents, it does not mean necessarily ability. It's actually talking about a sum of money. But the problem is it comes across as talents and makes it sound like God gave us talent. He's given us gifts of the Spirit, but it doesn't mean talents and abilities from that perspective there. To another two and to another one. So you got one five, one two, another one has one. To each according to his own ability. Verse 15, just be faithful with what God has given you. I, I don't know what your abilities are. I just sometimes don't know what my abilities are. I just know i got to be faithful to what the Lord has given me. And immediately he went out on a journey. Then he went. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Verse 17, the one who had two got two. Verse 18, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. What is the result? A hundred percent rate of return. That's all the Lord wants. Give a hundred percent. Verse 21, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside these. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Same reward. Well, that's not fair. The one guy brought five in. The other guy only brought two in. The Lord doesn't care. He gave a 100% effort. So therefore, if your ministry, if your sphere of influence is influencing hundreds, thousands of people, amen. If your sphere of influence is only influencing two, amen. God may say, I just want you to do those two. You just got to be faithful in what God has given you and just stay focused on that. So the guy that had five brought five. The guy that had two brought two. 100% rate of return. Then he had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you'd be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. And I was afraid. Never let fear keep you from ministering. Fear of saying the wrong thing. Fear of messing it up. We are not that important. We can't mess up eternity. 
I have said the wrong things before, and you know what? The Holy Spirit will either come and correct me, the Lord will bring somebody else in that person's life. Never let the fear of, of making a mistake or messing it up keep you from doing something. I see so many people that claim Christ that sit there and take their one talent and hide it because they're afraid. No, I was afraid it went and hid your town in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. See, Lord, I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. I just, I'm giving it right back to you. But your sin was you did nothing. Nothing. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant to the outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I guess what I want to finish with is this. I I look at this Acts chapter 6. I see a problem the enemy wants to exploit to take away our time and energy. And they dealt with it quickly, biblically, and spirit-led. We keep our focus on eternity. I see the different men and women having different spiritual responsibilities. And the Lord saying, I will use them all together for the furtherance of the gospel. I see the word of God being invested and the disciples multiplying. And that's what we want to do. I see men being tested and starting out. And then they more and more and more spiritual responsibility. And next thing you know, these guys that were raised up just to give food to the widows, they started with a food program. Next one's going to be the first martyr of the church, Stephen. And then you got Philip, the great evangelist. Wow. Lord, you just keep growing us deeper and deeper and deeper. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And then I think, okay, Lord, that's what we want to do. So Matthew 25, I think your prayer focus this week is, Lord, what have you given me to do? What's my sphere of influence? What's the abilities you've given me that you're asking me to do something with? Don't be afraid that you're going to mess it up. No, don't walk in fear of that. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Do what the Lord has called you to do. It may be something as simple as I'm going to go talk to that neighbor this week. I'm in the name of Jesus. I'm going to make a plate of cookies and take it to the widow. I don't know. What we do every now and then with the boys is we'll stop on a Sunday evening and say, what's the Lord giving you to do this week? Proverbs 29 says there's no vision that people perish. So therefore, what's your vision this week, boys? What do you want to do in the Lord? And then throughout the week, we'll follow up with them, trying to remind them, this is what you want to do. Where has the Lord led you to do it? Let's not go just another week of just kind of getting by life. Let's really stop and say, Lord, I'm full of the Holy Spirit to serve you this week. What does that look like? How do I serve my family? How do I serve at work? How do I serve my neighborhood, my community? How do I represent you in every interaction I have? Let's just see what the Lord does with it. Worship team, if you want to come forward here for the final song. Hey. Let's pray this into our lives. Heavenly Father, as we come to you now, it's one thing to read it. It's one thing to take notes on it. But we want to do it. Lord, I pray for individuals here today that will go out this week. Whatever abilities you've given them, whatever sphere of influence that looks like, you will lead them and guide them to represent you. Lord, take us out of our comfort zone. Help us to go represent you in all that we do and say. And thank you, Lord. And we praise you for this opportunity to impact eternity and all that we do. We lift this up in your name. Amen.